The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. You are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio every Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock Eastern, 10 to 11 Eastern, and that's live. I also have a new show on WCDB FM station in Albany, New York, uh, 90.9, called The Social Workers, so you can listen to both shows. That's on Thursdays at 9 from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern. This morning I have two guests. My first guest is Ken Davis, and he is the best-selling author of Don't Know Much About History and Don't Know Much About Geography. Well, today he's going to be talking about Christopher Columbus, because Columbus Day is October 10th, and apparently we don't really know that much about Christopher Columbus. We have a lot of um, myths that that circle around about him, but there's some real historical facts that Ken's going to be talking to us about today. Second guest is Kathy Kaler. She's the best a best-selling author, and a celebrity trainer, mother of three, and she's here to offer tips on how to make sure your get-up-and-go hasn't gone up and went. But first, Ken Davis. Welcome to the show, Ken. Nice to have you on this morning. Good morning. Glad to be with you, and uh, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Yeah, well, Columbus Day is one of my favorite days because we have, if, if I'm in school, we have school off, if I'm at work, we have work off. But um, Christopher Columbus, you know, everybody thinks he's a great guy, discovered America, but apparently there are some facts that we don't know about because you say that Columbus has become the hero many people love to hate. What do you mean by that? Well, absolutely. I, I think that the great guy part is the first thing we have to take issue with. I, I think in the last uh, certainly uh, 20 or 30 years, we've moved away from that worshipful stance that we once had. If, if you grew up as a kid and you had that picture of Columbus planting the flag in, Amer- in America, uh, first of all, he never landed in what we call America. He basically, uh, the first trip sailed around the Bahamas, and on his later three uh, voyages sailed around the Caribbean. So what he really discovered was Club Med, I think, but um, <laughs> that's another Is conversation. Is that so bad? I mean, we've been going uh, No, it's, uh, that, that's a perfectly good idea. But, you know, certainly when I was growing up, the presentation was Columbus as the heroic, intrepid sailor who could do no wrong. And we know now, uh, based on the history, that while his arrival changed history without question, he also ushered in a... T- terrible, terrible era of enslaving the native people he found and mistakenly called Indians and uh, and introducing diseases that wiped out almost uh, 90% of the native population. So it's a real mixed message, and that's why Columbus has kind of fallen in some people's estimation, and in some places they want to call it Indigenous People's Day instead of Columbus Day. Ken, what about, you mentioned two things, though. He enslaved the people, and then he brought a lot of disease. Now, the second part, bringing a lot of disease, doesn't surprise me, because he comes on the ship with all these diseased sailors who have been sailing for months with, you know, I would imagine 
anything from rickets to infectious diseases, and I guess that's what you're talking about, right? He brought that to, Uh, yeah. Absolutely, and and it wasn't just Columbus and his men, but the whole era of exploration and discovery in which uh, Spanish and then other Europeans come to America. The principal killer was smallpox, uh, and of course smallpox existed in Europe for a very, very long time, and many people, although it killed millions, many people had uh, begun in Europe, developed some natural immunity to 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 the disease. We understand how uh, you get a little bit sick and then you're inoculated against future sickness. There was no smallpox in America before Europeans arrived. So this was a disease that was being introduced into a, a, essentially a, an untouched population. So its effects were tremendous, not only smallpox, but other diseases like yellow fever and typhoid, uh, a whole range. So that is really, uh, as, as one historian has called it, this is the, the guns, germs, uh, a part of, uh, of, of history that we sometimes forget in our history books. Um, one other smaller I, I, aspect we, do we of have the, the, Can I stop you for a second? Cause sure. Do we blame, we can't really, we can, but blame Columbus for this. This is just kind of sort of what, it's doing business when you explore. We're having the same thing happen now with all of the diseases that we get from air travel. Uh, you know, oh, sure. And, yeah. and no one is saying Columbus was a bad guy for the diseases, but there's another part of the story we've, we've basically only touched upon. Columbus was really interested in what when he came here. He wanted to find a faster way to get to Asia and China specifically. That's what he thought he was doing. He went to his grave believing that he had still found he was sailing around off the coast of China or East Asia somewhere. Um, This is one of his great miscalculations with tremendous uh, impact. But he also realized as soon as he lands and meets these native people, as I mentioned, he calls them uh, Los Indios. He thinks he's in the Indies Islands in Asia, uh, and that's why we call them Indians. It's Columbus's misnaming. But uh, almost instantly, he writes back to the king of Spain that with a handful of soldiers, he can subjugate these people and essentially make them do what they want, and, and also add it in, and then we can turn them into Christians as well, because that was part of this uh, idea that he was Christianizing the native people he, he found. But he quickly, very quickly, decided that what he was looking for was gold, and there were pieces of gold every once in a while that, uh, that he would find. And he set the, the Indians, the natives, digging for gold, and they had very, very harsh discipline. He would crucify people if they didn't meet the quota of work uh, in the day. He's, it's Wait, you mean crucify, crucify actually crucify murder? In the, yes, in the, in the sense of putting them on crosses, and this was a, a punishment and, and a way of instilling fear into these people. And it's said that he would crucify them in rows of 13, uh, 12 for the, depo- uh, the apostles and one for, for Jesus Christ. So these are the harsh realities of Columbus. His record as a governor in these islands was so bad, in fact, that even the Spanish uh, authorities were upset by it. Columbus, after the third voyage, is brought back to Spain under arrest in chains. He goes before the, uh, the king and queen, and they essentially pardon him, restore his titles, restore his money, and even send him on a fourth voyage after that. But it was very, very apparent that his record uh, of brutality and cruelty in coming to this part of the world is is pretty awful, 
and something we have to take into account. Ken, why don't we get that information? What is it that, why do we have to mythologize uh, Christopher Columbus? Why don't we get the historical truths? I mean, I mean, that is not even, we're not even getting a slight exaggeration in terms of how good he was. We're getting this, I mean, it's really kind of like just deifying somebody who was a mass murderer. <laughs> well, you, uh, I mean, you're there are certainly people, 13 people, you know, representing the apostles, or, and then he actually has to go back to Spain because he's, you know, may get, not be, whatever, they're going to put him in jail, but um, why, how does that come about? It, That's a really good question, Catherine, and a very important question, because it's not just about Columbus, it's about how we view history. In, in my books, Don't Know Much About History um, and the other Don't Know Much About Books in the series, I try and bring historical truth and accuracy. First of all, it's always more interesting than the kind of clean, sanitized story we tell the children, but it's important to really understand what happened, obviously. Um, I think that a lot of these stories started being told hundreds of years ago when we wanted to paint a picture of pride and patriotism about the coming of Europeans to the uh, barbaric native uh, uh, people and how they brought civilization and Christianity here. Uh, And so that was the, the picture that was painted for hundreds of years. And in doing that, it really whitewashed the other parts of this story that are true, they're tragic, they're ugly in some respects, but we can't uh, continue to tell this kind of bedtime story. And for the most part, I must say that school books have m- really moved away from the Columbus story you or I might have grown up with uh, some time ago. Um, but people still have that impression, and this, people still have the impression, because we don't learn history very well, that Columbus actually discovered America, because that's what we hear. Well, he never got to the United States of America, mainland North America. As I mentioned, he, he sailed around the Caribbean islands four different times, discovered many, many places, named them, and, and his arrival here changed history. There's no question about that, and I think it's important to learn and understand that, but understanding the whole truth and not just the pretty story we tell children for bedtime and, uh, or Sunday school, and, and overlook the real truth and reality of, of an ugly chapter in human history. And one of the things that we learned um, in our school books in elementary school, that Columbus was the one who proved the world was round. But you say that he didn't even believe that the world was round. Well, this is uh, the man in his own words, and that's one of the things I love to do in the Don't Know Much About books, is find what people actually said when they did it, not what a historian said or, or the media says 200, 300, 400 years later. But what did Columbus say? And we have his logbooks. I don't know why we don't have people read those instead of reading bad history. But uh, well, why don't you? Do you put? You're the historian. You don't. You could put them up on your website. Can't oh, you? Uh, the, and I do have uh, links on my website to to most of these things. I have a video up about Columbus and and his voyages. So uh, uh, that's one of the things that I do constantly is, especially around historic holidays, is try and and bring some of this uh, this real story uh, again. Because first of all, it's so interesting. This let me go back to this notion of round world, though, because um, there are two misconceptions here. First of all, most intelligent 
thinking, educated people of Columbus's day and certainly other sailors knew that the world was round. Uh, th- this idea that people thought the world was flat and he would sail off the edge is really a, a, a myth that was created much later. But in Columbus's logbooks on his third voyage, He's sailing what we know is now as the coast of Venezuela. He sees a river rushing out of the, uh, into the ocean, and it's coming very fast. We know it's the Orinoco River in Venezuela now. And Columbus writes that this is one of the rivers in, that's mentioned in the book of Genesis. And I said, wow, this, this means Columbus thought he'd found the Garden of Eden because the book of Genesis mentions four rivers that surround the Garden of Eden. And people of that day thought that the Garden of Eden was a real place that existed perhaps in Asia somewhere. So this is not unthinkable, but it's pretty surprising to think that Columbus thought he found the Garden of Eden. But then he goes on to write that this river is coming out so fast, it must be coming from a very high point on the earth. And he writes that the world is not spherical. And I stopped when I read that, and I said, wait a minute, that means Columbus didn't think the world was round. He goes on to say, yes, it's pear-shaped. And one more step, he goes on to write, this high point is pear-shaped like a woman's breast, and this high point is like the nipple, highest and closest to heaven. I'm sure they didn't tell me that in junior high school. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I would have taken notes, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is family radio, but that's the history. That's what Columbus wrote himself. Maybe a sailor too long at sea, I don't know. But when you read what these people write in their own words. It brings them to life. It makes them more interesting. So Columbus indeed did not think the world was perfectly round, but pear-shaped. Well, what I've always thought, and this wasn't when I was in elementary school, but this is, you know, fast forward, that a lot of, I mean, most of these explorers, not just Christopher Columbus, were very crude guys. I mean, or they wouldn't be out there doing what they did exploring and on ships for months at a time or even years at a time, they weren't necessarily uh, well-educated, erudite men, were they? Uh, what kind of background did Christopher Columbus come from? Well, well Columbus was, uh, was uh, an educated, uh, I, I would uh, erudite is, you know, that's a different uh, kind of word. He didn't have a college education in the sense that we did, but he grew up in, in Genoa, Italy, in a very... Uh, cosmopolitan city that was at that time that was a real center of trade and so he heard and read a lot about the the rest of the world he was certainly educated enough to to read and write the average sailor of that time i would i would i would say is much more along the lines of what you're saying probably an uneducated person who uh, uh was very superstitious in fact this factors into that the um the superstition was so powerful we think that columbus had a compass we don't know for certain but he would have kept it secret because people of that day and certainly sailors would have believed that a compass was something supernatural something not to be trusted maybe something of you know witchcraft or or the devil um so uh, columbus was certainly an educated well-read man who knew about the greeks who knew greek geography he could talk about ptolemy one of the great greek geographers he could talk about uh write about that so he he was an educated sophisticated person um he was also very uh, devout and this was part of the image as well a very 
devout Christian, at least he professed to be in his writings. And so when he talks about coming to the New World and meeting the, the natives, partly it's talking about bringing Christianity to them as if he's, you know, going to save their eternal souls. Well, I have to ask you if this is a myth, but I was in <clears throat> Spain um, a few years ago, and, and, I, and now I can't remember what town it was, but supposedly we, we saw Christopher Columbus's uh, tomb. And, and it, tell me if this is a myth, Ken, but they said that there was speculation that his mistress was Jewish and that he had a, a son, and, and his son was Jewish, a bastard son, as they described him. Is that true? Uh, he had a son, uh, but not uh, uh, there's uh, not a bastard son that I'm aware of. His his son actually was on some of the voyages with him and wrote uh, uh, b- books about him later on. So uh, uh, the uh, that may be more mythological than uh, than uh, uh, he did have a. Uh, a partner, a spouse partner who who was uh, different from his wife, um, but he has two <laughs> a spouse children. Partner, I haven't heard it said that. <laughs> yeah, well, his, you know, his wife uh, his wife died in 1485, uh, and then he's involved with a, a, another woman, and uh, and so, but he never marries her. Um, maybe that's who uh, is being referred to. I, I'm not sure. I've never heard any suggestion that she was um, Jewish. Um, but but uh, to the burial, that's an interesting question because he dies, of course. Uh, in 1506, the legend was that he died poor and uh, in disgrace because nobody knew what he had done. But that's, that's not uh, accurate at all. Um, he was first... His, his What's interesting, though, is his first remains were... were buried in uh, Spain, then his son apparently took the, the remains to Santo Domingo, which is uh, the present-day Dominican Republic, and then apparently the remains were moved back to Spain, into Seville, and maybe that's where... Uh, that's where, uh, yes, it was Seville. But there are questions that, that some of his remains might be in Santo Domingo, and they actually did um, DNA testing on those remains about uh, oh, 10 years ago or, or so, uh, and they couldn't quite prove that the bones they had in Santo Domingo were still uh, Columbus's. Um, another kind of interesting follow-up story that's been in the news lately about Columbus and the way we view him is that for for the uh, 500th anniversary in 1992, a kind of eccentric Russian sculptor made a 300-foot statue of Columbus that was disassembled, actually taller than the Statue of Liberty, to give to America. And uh, the problem was that nobody in America really wanted a 300-foot-tall statue of Christopher Columbus because the statue wasn't very attractive and nobody was interested in uh, celebrating Columbus anymore. So for the past, uh, oh, nearly 20 years, this statue has been kind of wandering around. It's in Puerto Rico now where someone said that they would be willing to put it up, but um, even that is causing controversy. So uh, Columbus's statue is like a lost sailor kind of wandering around the Americas. So we, uh, that's too bad. We don't want the statue. Um, tell me, you know, more about what is in the history books now, because you said it has changed. I mean, you brought up all these misconceptions and, and looked at some of these historical facts about Christopher Columbus, but what are the children learning? I mean, specifically, because it isn't, as you say, the same kind of mythological uh, stuff that we learned when we were in school. 
Yeah, it's certainly uh, my own children who are in their 20s now, when they were in elementary school, they were getting a much more balanced view. And, and balance is, is important in history. We want, to t- we want people to be interested in it. We don't want to make it boring. But on the other hand, we don't want to, um, uh, to, t- to clean up the past so much that it's untrue. So my children, for instance, in the, in the past 15 years or so in elementary school, certainly had a sense that Columbus came, went on these voyages of, of discovery, but that his arrival here had a tremendous impact on the Native Americans. When I grew up, there were no Native Americans, no African Americans, no women in my school book. That's changed a great deal in the past 20 or 30 years for the better. Uh, on the other hand, we don't want to you know, create a new set, sense of mythology, but certainly the fact that there were tens of millions, if not more than 100 million Native Americans in these two continents and the islands when Columbus arrived is certainly something I didn't have the impression of when I was growing up. You thought that Columbus came over and there were a few Indians running around in, in loincloths, and that was it. But this was a, a large, in some places, very sophisticated uh, civilizations in North America and South America, Central America, the Aztecs, of course. And that was the collision between two civilizations. That's one of the great and important and fascinating stories in history. And I think school books are doing a better job of teaching it now. It's not just Columbus, the hero, coming over and and discovering America, and then all the Spanish explorers, Cortez and da Gama, finding all these places. We know now that what they did was sometimes terrible, and that's the full story. And again, I always come back to this very basic idea that the real story is so much more interesting than the whitewashed version that no fiction, no novelist could tell a story better than these histories. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, so I want to ask you this next question. Do you think that Americans, you know, as obviously a well-known, you as a well-known historian, do you think Americans are more historically ignorant than our European counterparts. It seems to me that Americans have little idea of history, even their own history within the past 100 years or even 150 years. Or is that just something that, um, that I, you know, it's just my own perception. But it seems to me that, that Americans are ignorant about their history or ignorant about You're- history in general. You're very correct in that perception, that we are very bad when it comes to understanding our own history, whether recent or far back. Uh, I've been writing and talking about this for 20 years. The situation has gotten better sometimes, and then it goes backwards. Uh, There is no question that the average American is fairly uh, ignorant when it comes to understanding the past. And a lot of this has to do with things that are said and spoken about on the media these days by people, including some of our national leaders who say things that are clearly wrong and they're not corrected. So that's part of it. Certainly part of it is that we don't spend enough time on it in school. And third, and the biggest problem, is that most people have one word for history when they uh, hear you say the word, and that word is boring. Um, History, the way it's taught in most places in high school, is dull. It's a long list of dates and battles and speeches, and it leaves out this human aspect that we've been talking about with this man called Christopher Columbus. And I think if we just spent more time on it, 
and told real stories of real people doing real things, uh, people would not be bored. That's um, true. If, European, it were if it were presented the way you're presenting it now, or talking to us on the radio, it would be really interesting when you tell the real stories, exactly, well, not I've just the date. Thank you, Catherine. I've yeah. heard this. people say this for 20 years to me. They, say, they hear me talk about it on the radio, or I lecture, or uh, uh, you know, I, I go to a bookstore and talk about this, or I'm on the television, and people say the same thing. Gee, why didn't they tell us that in high school? That's so much more interesting. And it's because uh, a lot of complicated reasons we don't even have time for. But textbooks are awful. They're just collections of, of facts. They have to be written to be uh, read and approved by textbook committees and boards of education, so there's bureaucracy involved. And, and the human aspect of this gets washed out. We also start off with a history for our children that we don't want to tell them any stories that are too you know, violent or mean or nasty, as if children nowadays can't bear those things. Well, of course they can. We can talk about Christopher Columbus and what he did. We can talk about the fact that George Washington was a great hero and he owned slaves, and that's a contradiction. So let's explore the truth. And he had affairs with lots of women, and he wasn't married, and he had a lot of children who were born out of wedlock, and, and he... Which, who are you talking about now? I'm talking about Washington. Oh, no. Well, Washington, no. I have to uh, step Defend in there. He, he did not have lots of affairs and have lots of children out of wedlock. Most likely he was sterile, first of all. Oh, um, really? How had... did, how, but how would one know that? Well, the fact is that his wife, Martha, could bear children, but they had no children together. Uh, and the, the speculation is that he, was, he had smallpox himself when he was a teenager and that he might have um, uh, become sterile because of that uh, uh, adolescent disease. So I have him compute, confused with Benjamin Franklin. Is he the one who Benjamin had Franklin uh, also uh, d- uh, did not have as many uh, affairs and mistresses. He, he, he wrote and talked about it as if he did, but he had a, a fairly long and, uh, and happy marriage to his wife, Deborah. Uh, he often counseled younger men, wrote a famous letter in which he counseled younger men to, if, he, if they were going to have affairs, have an affair with an older woman because uh, they're, they're so much more appreciative. But... Um, <laughs> we're, we're way away from Columbus now. And, of course, Thomas Jefferson, on the other hand, is now pretty widely acknowledged, including even at Monticello, to have had a relationship with the slave Sally Hemings and to have fathered children by her after his own wife had died. Um, this was not during his, uh, his own wife's life or during his marriage. So we know a lot more than we do, and that's one of the reasons that I keep updating and revising my book, Don't Know Much About History, which, by the way, is out in a new edition that reflects a lot of the things we're talking about this morning. Don't Know Much About History, and I seem obviously you can, I want to tell people where you can buy it, because I think uh, that's what I want to do after the show, but you can, Amazon, bookstores everywhere, I assume. But, you know, you mentioned something, you said, Ken, that uh, people, when you say history, they go, boring. But why is it important that we understand what is the importance of understanding history uh, because there is i think it's very important and um so you know talk to us about that why do we need to know about history P- people will say well i don't need to know about it, it happened so big deal you know I, it's important that i live my life now and look towards the future why do i have to oh, know history 
you're, you're completely right, Catherine. I remember saying it myself when I was 16, when uh, back in in the uh, 1960s, the early 70s, everything became relevant. You know, it had to be relevant. What's this isn't relevant to me? Well, of course it's relevant. First of all, because everything that happened before leads us to where we are today. Uh, we are not the people, the nation we are in a vacuum. There's a long, long trail that got us here. And we should understand that whole trail completely to understand who we are as Americans and what the truth is in terms of our rights, our freedoms, our constitutional uh, laws and, and form of government. We have to understand this to a to keep it and protect it, and also to understand the tremendous sacrifice that has gone into uh, uh, winning those rights and freedoms. We are extremely lucky. We take it for granted. History helps us not take it for granted. Tremendous blood, sweat, and tears and fortunes have been uh, uh, spent earning us what we have as Americans today, and history teaches us that. It's like not wanting to know your family history, uh, not wanting to know who your, your parents or your grandparents are, because they, they affect who we are. Finally, it's, it's wonderful to learn because it's interesting. And if you let the people tell you what history is, and they give their own spin to it, if they tell you that you know, Paul Revere was trying to protect people's gun rights or that the founding fathers worked tirelessly to end slavery, which is a complete uh, mis- misconception and outright lie. Um, and that was those, both of those things have been said by major national leaders in the last six months. If you allow people to say those things and they are so wrong, we're going to take some very, very bad turns. And finally, the most important thing, we can learn something from history, not only from what works right, but what went wrong. Let's learn and understand what happened during the Great Depression. Does that have any impact on policy decisions being made today? Now, people can ignore those lessons or they can repeat them, but you should certainly understand what the past has to do with the present. Yeah, and I think that, to me, that's clearly very, very important not to repeat things that events that happened in history that was not the good part of our history. We can learn from it. We can make better decisions. However, then we need informed politicians, don't we, and informed presidents and informed cabinets, and I just wonder whether we have that or not, or we attract those kinds of people to be able to who have that information and then make decisions for our country politically based on it. Uh, you know, we have a very very smart president with, with, I think, that kind of information. But I question maybe some of the people who get into Congress and senators, and um, maybe this is a little bit off topic, but I don't think so, because we've got to use that history. But you have to have people no, who know I, what I don't it think is. It's off topic at, I don't think it's off topic at all. It's, uh, it's the essence of, of what we're um, thinking and, and uh, uh, doing as historians, is trying to bring the past to the present and connect the history to the headlines. I spend a lot of time, for instance, around historic holidays like Columbus Day, talking to people like you on the radio and explaining what, what these, uh, these holidays mean, what they have to do with us today. Memorial Day, people don't understand what Memorial Day is, and it came out of the Civil War and the tremendous loss in that period and what it means to us today. So 
that's the real reason to study history, and that's the reason I spend a lot of time talking about it. But mostly so I can tell people, look, this is important to understand and learn and know and not let somebody who's mistaken tell you something very, very wrong, but enjoy it, too, because it's a great story. So tell us, we have a couple minutes left, What? and I want to have you on the show for the next holiday, but what is the next holiday coming up that you, you know, explore the same kinds of well, one of the things I love to talk about is my favorite holiday. It's not a historic holiday, but it's it's a fascinating one. It's Halloween, uh, and that's uh, that was at the end of the month. And of course, uh, we it's a it's the second biggest commercial holiday in America nowadays, and it dates back to a Celtic Irish bonfire that was held in the in the fall to celebrate the new year. Um, a fascinating story. I, I wrote about it in a book called Don't Know Much About Mythology. And, of course, after that we have Veterans Day and then Thanksgiving and Christmas. So lots of holidays to talk about, and they all have history and stories behind them, and I love to tell those stories. And you tell them so well. And let's tell everyone where they can go, not just to listen to you on the radio and television, but also the websites where, you know, you have information and uh, obviously uh, updated information. So where can we... Okay, the easiest the place to find the, the easiest place to find me online is don'tknowmuch.com. That's all one word, no apostrophe. I don't sell anything there. It's just an informational site. It's where I write about headlines and the history. You can find out more about me and my books, whether it's Don't Know Much About History, which is out now in a new revised edition, or some of my other books, uh, America's Hidden History, in which I tell some of these stories, like the story of Columbus. Um, so you can find out much more about me there. There are links to the online booksellers that carry my books there. And most of my books are also available in your local bookstore as well. Don't know much about history, America's Hidden History, A Nation Rising. Uh, I write for children as well. And you can find my children's books uh, listed at don'tknowmuch.com. Do they consult with you on children's uh, books, history books? Are you consulted? Uh, uh, Am I consulted? No, I... I, I write my own children's books. I have a series of books for adults and a book, a series of books for children. So, for instance, I have Don't Know Much About the Presidents, which is a page each on, on, on our presidents, and just introducing kids to the same ideas that these are real people, and, uh, and let's have some fun with it and ask some questions and answer them in a quick way. Terrific. Well, thank Thanks you so, so much, much for being for on the show this me, morning, Catherine. Ken. You, it's been yeah. a great pleasure. Bye-bye. It's been a pleasure, yes. We'll have you on again. Ken Davis. A New York Times best-selling author has been talking to us about Columbus Day. Don't know much about Christopher Columbus, but I think after our talk with Ken, we do know a lot about Christopher Columbus. Have a good day, and uh, we're going to take a short break. So uh, when we come back, Kathy Kyler, best-selling author, celebrity trainer, mother of three, she's going to be here to offer us tips on how to make sure your get-up-and-go hasn't got up and went. Well, that's interesting. She's been on the Today Show for 13 years. She was the fitness correspondent and worked with celebrity clients like Kim Kardashian and Jennifer Aniston. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to the Catherine Zox Show here every Wednesday morning, live 10 to 11 on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. 
Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you're a golf enthusiast and looking for some great golf properties in the desert southwest, you'll want to make the Golf Realty Network your weekly stop. Hosted by Jane and Al Anderson, the Golf Realty Network is all about living where you play, on the golf side. You'll hear from the course pros and vendors, while the real estate side will bring you the top agents and brokers who know how to market or find your golf community home. Tune in to the Golf Realty Network, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety, and rebroadcast weekly on Voice America Sports. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. For the third consecutive year, VoiceAmerica.tv is presenting the Quakey Sense IJSBA World Finals in Lake Havasu, Arizona. It's the 30th anniversary. Join our team live October 8th and 9th, live and online at VoiceAmerica.tv. IJSBA Pro Jet Ski Racers have a shot at the $30,000 payout. Keep on top of all the action on the Power Up channel on VoiceAmerica.tv. Be sure to join us at the 2011 Quakey Sense IJSBA World Finals, Saturday and Sunday, October 8th and 9th, live and online at VoiceAmerica.tv. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Listen to us every Wednesdays from 10 to 11 Eastern Time. And my new show is on Thursdays, 9 to 10, called The Social Workers. You can listen to that in uh, New York on 90.9 FM station, Albany, New York. Um, but our next guest is Kathy Kyler. She's a best-selling author, celebrity trainer, and mother of three, uh, I, too, am a mother of three, and she's here to offer tips on how to make sure you get up, 
your get up and go hasn't gotten up and went or got up and went. She's been, as I said before, we took the break. She was on the Today Show for 13 years. She was the fitness correspondent, and she's worked with Kim Kardashian, Jennifer Aniston, and many, many more. Uh, her whole thing is about keeping your energy up, keeping your energy levels up throughout the day. Uh, welcome to the show, Kathy. Nice to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Kathy, am I, did I pronounce your last name right? Kaylor, just like Taylor, but with a K. Perfect. Okay, just like it with a K. Okay. Uh, you, well, you really, I, I, you know, I've seen your YouTube. Um, de- I've seen you on YouTube. I've listened to you, read some of your books. Uh, you're amazing. You're in great shape, obviously, mother of three. Uh, and I think the whole issue about energy and keeping your energy up is really the key. So let's talk about uh, how do you do that? How do you do that throughout the entire day? Well, we are doing... If, if you're a mother of three or a mother of one and you at work and house and activities, and it, it's almost impossible, isn't it? Well, it's a lot. It's definitely, <laughs> uh, you, you do, your plate is full, let's just put it that way. Um, and it's, it's challenging. And every day is a, is a new day, and you've got to make the right choices from you know, morning to night. And I have found just from personal experience and then also, uh, you know, as you've mentioned, I've been working with a lot of celebrities and uh, who have over the time of my working with them have become mothers, it's always the common thread. How do I stay energized or at least feel that I can get my day accomplished and feel good, you know, feel good throughout the day? Um, and, and I, I want it because, you know, you talk about all the celebrities you've worked with when they mm-hmm. were single, when they had kids, and, it's, you know, it changes as your uh, situation changes. But I just want to read this one thing that Michelle Pfeiffer said about you because this – I. This is, this is how I feel about it. She has shown me how to, she, you, Kathy, has shown me how to stay in shape without having to spend all of those hours in the gym that are a waste of time and, frankly, boring as hell. <laughs> yeah, I agree uh, with her. Well, it's, it's as we know, we, we all have choices and we all have likes and dislikes. And there are many people who just, you know, live and breathe the gym. It's, it's a place to be social, it's a place to be motivated by others, um, and some people just really love to do things outside on their own, so it really is a personal preference. Um, the point is, is that you've got to figure out a way to make it happen, and it has to happen on a regular basis that it becomes lifestyle, and what I have you know, found in the years of working with celebrities... The, the reason, at least the gals that I have worked with throughout these years, um, is that they have committed to it as a lifestyle. So it becomes just just part of their daily routine on where they're going to fit in the exercise and the choices that they make and how they eat. I, I think that's the only thing that works as, as I'm listening to. It has to be a lifestyle. It has to be a commitment to a lifestyle, not I'm dieting today, and of course, maybe I'll gain the weight back six months from now, but this is my lifestyle, this is how I live. So given that, what is the lifestyle, what are the tips that you can give to us about how to do that? Well, I think it's important to know, like, what is your, what is typically a routine for you, and it'll be different for, um, you know, moms out there who do have to get to an office, or let's say they do work at home. Um, there, there is a, there's a routine that takes place. So you kind of have a plan on what you eat in the morning and, and if you do a lunch and if you do a dinner. There's actually a survey that was just done that shows a lot of people are 
really kind of not even doing so much meals, but more uh, involving snacking as part of the meals. And I can see that happening. People's schedules are crazy. You're, you don't have a regular dinner time that you come home to. They're, not, they're too busy to make meals. Um, so I do see that happening. What, what, what I'm concerned with is what is the quality of a true snack and what are the qualities in a true meal? And that's where we really have to look at what am I putting in my mouth so that it is going to fuel my body and keep me energized. And this is what we're going to, I didn't even mention the name of your new book. You've written so many books, but the one that we do want to talk about specifically today is Mom Energy, right? Mom Exactly, energy. Mom yeah. Energy. And uh, the thing that I found so great in this book is I was writing it with um, the nutritionist Ashley Koff, and we just really talked about how important it is to balance a snack. So here's an example. If you have, uh, typically with a snack, you want something crunchy. You want something that... Um, just has that, oh, this, this mid-meal mid kind of uh, delicious tasting snack that's going to get me in between those meals, get me through it. So I love taking the pretzel crisp pretzel, which is the flat pretzel, and um, I know we're radio, but I'll try and make it as descriptive as possible <laughs> so that it'll be salivating. It sounds good to me. It's right before lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, if you look at that as kind of your base and find items that you like, such as a hummus or a, a thick Greek yogurt, which are, is a, a real high protein content, or an apple, um, uh, an almond or a peanut butter, and then on top of that, you can do um, a walnut or a couple of raw almonds or a slice of apple or a slice of the, um, you know, there's those little mini baby bell cheeses or the little, little triangle soft cheeses. Then we now have a snack that has the three components. It's got a good fat, it's got a good carb, and it's got protein. What happens there is that your body... And I want to add another piece of the things that you're describing, Kathy, because I think it's real, so important. It has a good taste to it. So if you keep eating just carrots all the time, eventually you just give up. One gives up, or at least I do. But you mentioned like the almonds. That's what I I just lost six pounds and I was 112. Now I'm 106 and I feel so much better. But doing exactly what you talk about in your book. And the reason what happens is that you're putting in a snack that's, that's low glycemic, so it doesn't give you that spike of, you know, if you just had a carbohydrate where you get that sugar spike and, and you, you sense the energy, but then it immediately goes and you're looking for the, the couch to take a nap. So looking for something that gives you that balance is going to give you that sustained energy. And I think for moms, importantly, is we can't afford those lulls until it's the all-important time to shut down and and really get solid rest, which is another key important reason for, um, you know, having energy is to get that energy back by sleeping. Kathy, you talk about, you know, eating throughout the day and eating well and eating as you describe each one of these foods. I think sometimes moms, what happens to them is they don't eat well, they're feeding everybody else, they're on the run, and so, and I think you mentioned this, it, when it's dinner time, you're sitting there with your kids and then eating everything that they off their plates, and you've kind of become this, like, human garbage pail, and that's not good for you. You're right. That's, it's very important to be aware of what you, what you are eating. 
and accountable for it. Every, you know, everything you put in your mouth is going to have a calorie. Um, it's important to have good calories. Uh, that's how we maintain our our body. That's how we burn body fat. It's you know making sure you're fueling your body. It's like the car. In fact, Ashley Koff talks about you know looking at yourself as as a race car that you have to make those pit stops and it needs to be the right fuel for your body. So you know I love just the variation that you can do with with a snack. You know such as the pretzel crisps and and add on all of the additives of, of fruits and, and uh, nuts and, um, you know, different, different uh, proteins, it, that gives the balance. And, and that should be taking place in your meals. Um, and one of the things that I am just completely um, passionate about is getting yourself organized at the top of the week. And I started a program called Sunday Setup that is on my website that you can get through on pretzelcrisps.com. What's your website? Um, if you visit pretzelcrisps.com, you will see my face right there, and um, you can click from there to my website, which is kathykaler.net. And I talk about how important it is to get organized at the top of the week with prepping um, your fruits, your vegetables, your grains, and your proteins so that when you go to make meals during the week, especially for moms, you're scrambling, you've got homework, you've got kids coming from soccer practice, you know, it's very hard to do all the prepping and then all the cooking and then actually sit down with your family and eat. <laughs> That's the and, thing. and you also, I, you have to have the ingredients there. You, you talk about the Sunday setup, not... If you don't have the stuff and you haven't gone to the grocery store and you don't have it organized, then you start grabbing stuff that just isn't good for you. Well, and the, just, exactly. And yeah. the, tele, the telephone comes off the hook and you're ordering. And, you know, I think that we're all at a point in time that we are looking to uh, save money. Uh, we're looking at, you know, people have all different kinds of economic issues right now. Uh, we want to save time. Because I'd like to spend time around the dinner table. I want to know with my kids how school was and what's going on. And when you're constantly running and trying to, you know, make, make a meal or get things ready, you're not getting that quality time. Also, if you, you talk about saving money, if you eat, what, you, you'll save money if you eat less but eat the right stuff, what, tasting better and better for you. So that's one way of saving money. I want to just ask you, do you think that one should weigh themselves every day or not? Um, I, you know, it's a love-hate relationship with the scale. <laughs> um, it's, it's more of something that I think it can derail you just because you're looking at a single number if you're getting onto a scale. And I know there's a lot of scales that can actually do the, the, the body fat content, um, You'll never get a, an exact body content unless you do what's called a hydrostatic weighing where they actually submerge you underwater to give you that, you know, comparison between lean tissue and fat tissue. So you're saying BMI, body mass index, really for well, us? body mass index is very good, too. Um, but if you're just stepping on a scale and looking at a number every day, there's too much fluctuation that happens with, with water, retention, um, you know, different things that you've eaten during the day, not weighing yourself every day at the same time. I, I think it's best to use, you know, your clothes are a great uh, indicator. 
Uh, your BMI index is a great indicator. Take your measurements. Get out the old measuring tape and measure your waist, measure your hips, and, um, you know, keep, keep yourself in check. Except, Kathy, I'm one of those people, if I don't weigh myself every day, and maybe it has to do with one's personality, I feel like I'm out of control. Like, I, I'm sort of, okay, I can put my pants on and see, you know, are they tight around the waist? Right. Yes. But when I see that number, I just feel, and it's, if it's a pound or two over, then I have to do something about it. And, it's, and, and if it's a pound one way or the other, perhaps, it's, as you say, I attribute it to water weight. Right. But... I feel out of control if I'm not weighing myself every day. So for well, me, that does work. And, that, and, and again, just like people like to exercise inside and people like to exercise yeah. outside, yeah. it's really about um, what works for you. And as long as you can keep it as a, a positive way to monitor, um, that, that then is appropriate. When it becomes that, oh, my gosh, I'm a pound up, and then you don't eat anything that day or... You know, that's where it can get into some, into some issues. You also have a book about energy and hormones and sex and sexual energy. And, um, you know, because you have moms. I mean, that's the title of the book, Mom Energy. So moms need energy for their kids, but they also need energy for their partners, spouses, husbands. And that involves being able to spend time with them and still have energy in the evening and also still being able to have sex with their partners. How does that work? Well, I think it, it, again, it leads up to a day of being um, in control, a day where you are um, organized, and, and I can just, you know, test for myself. It's, it's very much the day that I have had things go smoothly where I've been able to make the right choices in how I ate. I was able to get my exercise in. Uh, we were able to sit down at the table together. There is that feeling of, wow, this was, this was a good day. And that gives you energy. Um, it also keeps you kind of on track. Uh, the dinner didn't go over too long. I'm able to put the kids to bed and still get upstairs and spend some quality time with, the, with, with your spouse. So I think it, it really is a big picture. You've got to look at how your lifestyle is and... And you can't change overnight, but you can certainly begin to incorporate the, these routines and these practices that then become habit, which then become lifestyle. Yeah, I think you say, mentioned something important. One doesn't have to be hard on themselves. You can't do this all at once and, and because, you know, it's not an all-or-nothing thing. If you just incorporate, as you say, a few of the exercises, a few of the eating habits that are good for you, eventually you can evolve or morph into doing all the right things, but it doesn't happen right away for most people. It doesn't, and, the, you know, the thing especially with, that, uh, with women is we, we need to be a little bit more on that priority list. We're taking care of, of everyone, and we seem to be the ones on the back of the line, and it's so imperative for the health of a woman to make sure that she's exercising, make sure she's eating right. Um, you know, there's way too many risks of of cancers that um, really do connect with lifestyle. And, um, you know, this month is, is Breast Cancer Awareness, and Pretzel Crisps are actually doing a, uh, a huge donation um, to the Susan G. Komen Foundation. And, and it all, all relates back to um, taking care of yourself. 
And as much as we want to take care of our kids and our houses and our and our animals and our and our spouse and and that wasn't in that order on purpose, <laughs> but I'm just saying it's a lot. You know, it's a lot that we take on, and we have to be up there. We we have to be up there in, in what we do for for ourselves. We have to be deliberate. As as I'm here listening to you, we have to be deliberate. We have a lot of responsibilities. You're saying as women and whatever order you put them in, your husband, your dog, your dog, your husband, but anyway, and the kids, and your, and also we have this uh, uh, baby boomer generation that's sandwiched in between the kids and their parents, taking yes. care of older parents as well, so there's a lot of responsibility. So one really has to be focused and organized. You can't just let it happen. Right, because it, go, it, go, it gets away from you too quickly. So for anyone out there listening, it's, it's really something that, you got to start. You got to start today. Don't wait. Don't wait for an occasion. Don't wait for something to happen, and then I'll do it. Do it now. Start do it now, and we have to choice. say goodbye now. But <laughs> Kathy Kaler, her new book is Mom Energy, and she's written so many books. You can go to her website, kathykaler.com, and there are links to other websites. Great having you on the show this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. I'm your social worker with the microphone. Hope you've enjoyed the morning. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zock Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.